in a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist. It's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on the website. Uh, all of our new episodes and interviews from episode one to until we get done doing the show is on there. Check it out. We've done several interviews. We have an interviews tab. Uh, it's a lot easier to find them there. Definitely go to the website and check out the interviews. We've got our store. Uh, we got some new t-shirts. They're awesome. Uh, Shan has her Etsy page attached as well. If you need tumblers or you want a tumbler, check those out. We have what we call under the mask is where we all write little blogs or think pieces. Check those out as well. You know, Horror fans are very opinionated, and we love sharing those with each other, so definitely check those out. We also have all of our social media links on there. We love interacting with our fans. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Follow us, like us, subscribe to us. I actually want to apologize to our fans. Uh, last week when we did Brother Kevin Scanlon's video, uh, video or his legendary blood donor review, we were having such a good time that <laughs> I forgot to do the social media comments and questions. It just totally slipped my mind, so I do apologize. Because we had a lot of good questions and comments. I don't want anyone to feel slighted that I didn't acknowledge them. It was it was just a mistake, so I do apologize for that. And the last thing we'll shout on our website is our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. Uh, we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. It's a bit takes a big burden off of us. We, we 100% acknowledge how tough times are with money, so we truly appreciate it if you do financially donate to us. Or uh, we also have one-time donations. You're a big fan of a movie. You want us to review it. We have that option available as well. Uh, we're going to get into tonight's film review. It's our third entry in what we call 31 month. Uh, tonight is my pick, and I chose 2014's Annabelle. This is just one of those movies I feel like it's a little overdue. It's not like a, you know, it's not like one of these iconic legendary horror movies that we haven't done yet. But it's just we've done all of the Conjuring movies, but we haven't done any of the spinoffs yet. So I just felt like it was time to do Annabelle. I do like Annabelle creation more. I'll say that. But I wanted to do the first one first this time instead of, you know, other films or franchises. We've just hopped around. Which one's our favorite? Blah, blah. But I chose the first Annabelle. I like this movie a lot more than what IMDb gives it. Uh, I feel like it gets a little too much criticism from other fans. But, you know, if you're not a big fan, I understand. But I, I like this movie. And I'll say that I think a majority of the people who do like this movie will say it's the bond between John and Mia that really carries it. Uh, like Dead Meat said, I'm a big fan of John believing Mia. He's never skeptical like in Paranormal Activity where Nika doesn't believe anything that, I can't remember what her name is, Katie Featherston saying. John believes her the whole time. He's a supportive husband. I really like that. I like their bond, and I think it carries the movie. It does have, you know, some basic, you know, haunting, haunted house, haunted possession type stuff going on. But I enjoy the movie, and I'll let Brother Brian go next. Yeah, so during one of the Conjuring movies we did during the first three, because we've done the whole series now, I mean, I admitted that I hadn't seen any of this Conjuring universe at all. You know, I, I avoided demon movies like The Plague and and won't get back into that. But, but since that, you know, we've covered 
covered the three Conjuring, the main three Conjuring movies on the show, and my scores reflect that I love those. You know, I, I thought they were great. Um, this was my first leap into the spinoffs, uh, and I have to say I was I was a little bit disappointed with this one. Now, I texted the guys and wanted to go further into the prequel and sequel, and about two hours ago I got the prequel chalked up. So, if, you know, given my love for continuity in the franchise, the sequel may actually change my mind a little bit about this one as well, but... Um, as a standalone right now, I don't really care for this that much. I mean, it was just okay to me. And that's, I mean, I'm kind of being nice. I mean, there there were definitely some good scares, some good parts with, with tension, and we'll get into those. But And I can't put my finger on whether it was the cast, the casting director, or the director, who, by the way, did Insidious 2, which I do like a lot, and was the cinematographer for the original Conjuring, um, John Leonetti who wasn't the only director, but we'll get into that a little bit as we go along. But this movie drug a lot. And these characters honestly left no real impression on me. I mean, it was the, it was the, you know, was it the, the writer Greg Dauberman to blame? And, and I know that dude, you know, wrote 2017 it, which I think I gave a 10, but I mean, come on, you already had the source material right there on that one. So I don't know if the Annabelle series gets better or worse, but as far as this one, I was kind of left with a, I don't know, sour taste? I mean, that was it was almost like a taste like when you drink something tangy after brushing your teeth and you're like, nah, this is it, not you're not like, oh, this is fucking disgusting. But you're more like, I wish that was a better experience. I, I should make better choices. I feel like that's about that's about how it was. Yeah, so this one to me, I've said this a lot on this show. So I'm I hate repeating myself, but I do that anyway. I have my I have my crutches that I always go back to when I speak. Okay, so I'm all right with doing it because that's just how I talk. Uh, this movie commits the ultimate sin that a movie can commit. It's boring as hell. Now, that does not mean that there's not good stuff in here. I texted the group earlier. There is really good camera work in this movie to me. I. I think some of the ways they use the sound, the lighting, the, the way they move the camera, some of the shots in here are elite to me. I mean, even better than some of the Conjuring movies just as far as some of the shots they get and the way they kind of play with, you know, the baby sounds and, and all that stuff and the music really creepy, really good. And there are some actual good jump scares here. However, I just think this plot is boring as hell, man. Like, like I, and I don't know, I can't quite, I'm a little bit like Brian where I can't quite put my finger on what it is. And I'm no acting coach or actor and never, never have been, never going to be. But I think these performances are a little poor <laughs> for my taste. Uh, I think the characters come off as bland. So maybe they were written that way. So I don't want to blame the acting per se, but something about that are, our two main characters here just comes off a little bleh to me. Uh, and I don't know exactly why it's just dry. And so when, even when it gets to the more tense parts of the movie, I'm left not caring about these characters the way I wish I did, because there's some really good stuff here as far as the way they use the Annabelle doll. I love the lingering shots they leave on her. Like there's some really good stuff here, but all in all, I just kind of find myself checking my, you know, pausing and seeing how much longer I have. Now, I am like, I think everyone else on this show, I love Annabelle Creation. I think it's a better story. It's more narrative driven as far as not, it's not just about being tense, 
just about the jump scares. It's there's a really good story, you know, kind of interwoven in there, and I think it's better. That third one, sorry, Brian, I'm sorry you had to watch that, but uh, um, yeah, I don't hate it as much as I did before. I have an appreciation for it now upon this rewatch, but for me, it just doesn't stick like I wish it did, like the Conjuring movies do. Yeah, so. <clears throat> This is a, a rare occurrence. I don't know what's going on. Nico and I have been uh, agreeing a lot lately. I like this movie, too. He and I definitely like it more than uh, Brian and Mike do, and that's fine. I agree uh, with what you said, Nico. I, I like um, I like the fact that John believed in his wife, which, my God, look at her. Annabelle I, Wallace. I do like that part. Annabelle Wallace. Yeah. I know that you're recently single. Um, I would love to change that. Wait, wait, wait which part, um, Mike, did you like? The the part uh, about him agreeing with Nico? Or was it the part about... The uh, part the, the part about... Uh, no, the part about him agreeing oh, with his oh, wife. Okay. All right, just making sure. Mm. Come on, come on. That being anybody. said... I never want anybody on this show to agree. That's what makes it fun <laughs> when we yell at each other. Skip! <laughs> that being said, I mean, there, there are some issues I have with it. Or not necessarily issues, but... I don't really like. Uh, I don't like all the movies. I don't. I don't gush over this movie. I don't think it's great, but I do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. I like the uh, the the actual story. If you know, if you look into the actual Annabelle doll and Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren and all that, um, <clears throat> I think it's a fine movie. It, it didn't bore me. I think the runtime's good, about an hour and thirty three minutes or something like that. Uh, casting was fine. Uh, John, I didn't really like the cat. I don't know what it is, but John just didn't seem something about his face. Maybe. I don't know. Did, did he not just look like a, a pretentious fuck? Like I know he was a med he was student. Too pretty. So maybe that's he the was point. Too pretty. It was almost, yeah, it was almost like boy. he was like and, in Barbie or something. Like he was, I don't know. He's fucking like, yeah, we got a fucking Ken doll as our main <laughs> character here. I don't, I don't know. Apparently he wasn't. He knocked her up, but, um, I just, his his casting is really my biggest beef with it. Just the way, and it's just the way he looks. I think he's a fine actor, but uh, he looks like a a grown ass preteen. I don't I don't know how to understand it. But uh, anyway, I like the movie fine, and I'm glad you picked it. Um, I, I told you guys, you know, you all said that you liked Annabelle Creation better, I, and I told you guys, I think I do too. But it's not by a very wide margin, so I'm excited to do this review. Any more final thoughts before we get into the scene by scene? No, nah, man, I think I'm good. I was going to try to come up with something smart, but I didn't have anything tonight. Damn it. I'm too tired for this. <laughs> Disclaimer is 930. We're all, all four of us are about to pass out. For you international listeners, this late as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We're just old men now. All right, let's get into the scene by scene. Since the beginning of civilization, dolls have been beloved by children, cherished by collectors, and used in religious rites as conduits for good and evil. That was text on the screen. When I see a close-up of the Annabelle doll and this young trio of people telling Ed Warren the story of the doll and odd things that's been happening, Camilla got in touch with a medium. The doll was possessed by a girl named Annabelle Higgins who killed her parents. We are beyond terrified, Debbie says. Title card as we zoom in on a demon statue in a church. Santa Monica, California, one year earlier. Father Perez is preaching to the congregation. John and Mia play thumb war in service. And Pete asks afterwards, who won, jokingly. Mia goes to find Sharon, who is praying, and she says she thinks she's going to run off too as the two ladies walk back to their husbands. 
The couples make it to their home, and Sharon asks them name possibilities of their soon-to-be child's name. Sharon tells them children are a blessing. Then they learn to talk, Peter interjects. Mia says we shouldn't talk about the baby in front of them so much. They lost their daughter two years ago. John says she ran away. They didn't lose her. John opens the door, and she tells them they got to start locking the door. We live in a different world now. Mia is sewing and watching the TV about Charles Manson. John asks her to turn the TV off. He can't concentrate on his studies. He thanks her and says she shouldn't watch that stuff. It could upset the baby. She asks how his studies are going, and he says he's trying to enjoy it. He says he hasn't mentioned he's about to be a new father at the residency. He doesn't want to hear how difficult or challenging it's going to be. Mia is upset and asks if he's talking about residency or dealing with her and the baby. She walks off into the baby's room and John follows. He apologizes to her and asks if they can go back and redo the last two minutes. She says, it's fine. I know you're stressed and I'm a little oversensitive. He says, you're a little oversensitive because you're a lot pregnant. John kisses her belly and says, there's something I want to give you. She says, last time you said that, I got pregnant. He walks back in the room with a giant gift. She's amazed as John opens the box. It's the one doll she's wanted. She lost hope looking for one because she couldn't find it. She sits it on a shelf with her other dolls. The couple's in bed now, and we see Pete and Sharon wake up, turning their light on. Pete goes to check something out, telling Sharon to call the cops. We now see blood splatter on the wall, and a man with a knife crawl in bed with Sharon as the light goes off and she screams. Mia wakes John up, saying she heard a scream and thinks something's wrong. He says he's going to go check it out. She says I'd rather they call the cops instead of going over there. John walks over to the neighbor's house, and Mia nervously watches from the porch. She calls John's name and he runs out the house with blood all over his shirt. It's not mine, he says, and go call an ambulance. She runs inside to call for help and we see a woman walking in the background in her doll room. Mia goes to her bedroom and we see a woman carrying the new doll. Mia puts a robe on and she hears, I like your dolls. She backs up and the man stabs her in the stomach with a knife. John tackles and fights the man and he tells Mia to get out. The woman pounces Mia, grabbing the knife and John tackles her into the wall. The man hits John with, I think it's a vase, in the leg, knocking him to the ground. The woman runs into the doll room, slamming the door as the police shoot the attacking man. John goes to Mia as the police kick in the doll room door. Mia is carried out on a stretcher, and she sees the woman dead in the doll room with a cult sign on the wall in blood and the doll in her lap. A drop of blood falls onto the Annabelle doll's face and is absorbed into its eye. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. What would you think? All right, so I, I'm glad that Leonetti had been the cinematographer on The Conjuring because the camera camera work, the shots, do resemble that first Conjuring a lot. And there are some beautiful shots in here. I mean, for example, the title card playing that same tune as that crib baby mobile and the, and the music box from The Conjuring. But, and he, I say he because I don't know if Leonetti or the credited cinematographer James Neist deserves the credit, but they use this type of shot a lot where it kind of zooms out to reveal the doll, or in this case, the statue of what appears to be Satan, uh, which goes right along with the Catholic Church, but I'll shut up about that. But the shot is, is used a lot throughout uh, the entire thing, and, and it stood out to me. I really thought it was beautiful. Um, and that one shot they used when Mia was walking back in the house, and it's the, the one shot, the one where with no cuts, he's walking, she's walking back in the house and the way they shot her head turning after the blood spatter next door when she was waking up, definitely chef's kiss there as well. Beautiful shots. Um, to me, respectfully, of course, uh, the only part of this set of scenes that really drew me in though, was the attack, obviously. 
Um, my tension built up in that entire scene. I felt like it was really well done. And, and this was one of, of two moments here that really bothered me, this movie, like struck a nerve with me, I mean. Uh, but when she's, when she's stabbed in the stomach, like, like I've talked before about, you know, our issues personally with miscarriages in real life. So that kind of stuff, like, I don't know, it really, it really makes me feel some type of way. Now, obviously it worked out, but in the moment I felt like sick to my stomach when she got stabbed. Uh, very well done, I would say, to, to be able to elicit that type of reaction from me. Um, and lastly, but, you know, yeah, just just the character development here is just shaky to me because the dialogue, like the delivery, uh, both, I think, are just almost cringy to me. And I've seen these people in other things, and, and they've done much better, like like Brian Howe and, and Carrie O'Malley playing Pete and Sharon, which, sidebar, got to be an Easter egg for Sharon Tate, right, since they're going the whole Manson cult type of thing. Uh, regardless, though, it's just them with Mia and John, like their exchanges, the church stuff. It's just, to me, it's just bad dialogue. It doesn't feel real, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Even the Mia and John stuff, like, you know, that that's funny because you guys said you loved their bond and, and their, their stuff like that, but I never got that. Um, it's just, to me, like, I don't know, the rest of the movie, the entire thing, like this set of scenes is saved by a great action sequence, which reels me back in. And I th- feel like that that's how the whole movie is. Um, like, you're, I'm either falling asleep or on the edge of my seat, and there's not really much in between. And I can't remember a movie that I've been like that with in, in a long time. Go ahead. Yeah, I man, I I echo your sentiments as well. You know, there's uh, again this set of scenes just kind of lulls me, not to sleep, but just to kind of be checking my phone to be, you know, if someone's talking to me, I kind of turn to them instead of paying attention to the movie. Until, you know, you get to the quote unquote action scene that that you referenced. So I'm not a big fan of this setup and this character development. Um, Now, I like the backstory of the doll or the little bit that we do get. I think that seems kind of, you know, intriguing to me. When we get to Mia and John, I just kind of find myself not very interested. And and I do like their bond. You know, like you guys have mentioned, I like that he believes her. He stands by her and beside her. What, you know, as opposed to some of these other movies we've seen that it, it's so bad. It's a trope to not believe your wife or girlfriend when some spooky shit is happening. So I like that he does it, it, at least take her very seriously for the most part. Um, I think, you know, to get to the best part of this scene here, you know, you could kind of cut through some of this dialogue if you want to. I don't, it doesn't do a whole lot for me, but what I do like in this set of scenes is some of the shots that you get on the, like, I don't have kids, so the little twirly thing that goes around on over a crib that makes the little wind-up noise, that thing, I like that. I, I don't know these things. I don't have kids like Nico baby, and Brian. Baby mobile, but, man, baby uh, mobile. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, Nico. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so there's just some really cool shots of that, and the way they kind of keep it silent while you see what's happening through the window until the blood splatters. I love that. That's a really cool effect. I think they, I love the way they mess around with the sound in this movie. Um, and I like everything from the point, from that point on, I like everything that I see. You know, it, it's a really good horror action sequence where, you know, you get the husband and wife and they're both in there. And, and the, I, I'm not going to lie, the first time I ever saw this movie, which was in theaters, and I do want to say this movie plays really well in the theater as far as, these scenes right here. Um, 
but you know, watching Mia get stabbed, I'm like, damn, that they're gonna kill this woman off like that. Cause I mean, not only did you stab her, you know, you stabbed her in her pregnant stomach. So that's and that's double homicide right there, my man. But uh <laughs> yeah, so again, just the end of this set of scenes keeps me interested. But before it, and then what we're about to get into after it, man, it just kind of, it, it, it's just there. Like there's no connection for me like there is in the, in the prequel to this. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like that we initially get a nice tribute to the original story with the uh, college girls talking about the doll and how, you know, they'd see first it would just be uh, a leg would move or something like that. Then next thing you know, it'd be in a completely different room all by itself. Uh, that's the original story. Um, I guess these weren't college girls. Maybe they were nurses, roommates, whatever, but still it's a nice, uh, tribute there to the backstory. We get a pretty spooky title card, which I always appreciate. I appreciate when the title cards are, uh, you know, well done and creative, um, uh, and set the tone that they did a good job. I tell you, you know, as much as I bitched about John's casting and just him, the, I can't think of a better casting than the priest, though. Like, does that dude not just look like a priest? Oh, yeah. There's, I that was perfect casting. Oh, yeah. He looked the part. Great job there. Uh, then we get to John and Mia's house, and she's telling him, you have to start locking it. Now, that's what we call foreshadowing in the business. <laughs> um, who could have ever predicted that that would come back to haunt them? Um, now, and here, here's the thing. Everything that happens from this point forward, I can't really feel bad for John and Mia at all. Because if you're the kind of person that gets excited and like generally wants that kind of doll, you pretty much welcome the evil in the first place. Like, look at that fucking thing. It that's looks fair. creepy. It's not even like he has a cute doll. It just had a, yeah, that's a, the thing. This isn't Raggedy Ann and Andy, man. This is, what the fuck fair. is this thing? Yeah. Which, funny enough, the original I know. Anna, but, Annabelle was a large Raggedy Ann right. doll. No, I know. And that's the fun uh, fact I know. do know. Right. <laughs> and it's currently in the, uh, you know, display in the museum at Ed and Rain's house. So I, I'll be sure cool. to bring that with me next time I come to Knoxville. Can't wait. <laughs> Fuck it. How you afraid of no damn doll? It's what you can't see that Brian and I are afraid of. Come on. <laughs> Not afraid. Just have feelings about. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I feel like they pretty much welcome that. Now, here's another thing that I read that I'm a little confused on because this movie, I believe, takes place in 1967. But then if you look up the uh, the Conjuring Universe timeline, I think it says it took place in like 1970. So I'm a little confused on the actual year that this movie took place but funny enough like if it was 1967 when it took place not she calls 911 to call the cops 911 didn't even go active as a line uh, like nationwide line until 1968 so it could be an error it could not be maybe i'm wrong in my timeline i don't know but overall i agree though it's a pretty ho-hum opening set of scenes i do think it gets better it does a good job of establishing some some backstory the uh hippie killing her like it, it does a good job of giving us a reason like we, when you see the blood trickle down into the eye of the doll and she's this satanic cult member so like it gives us a reason but honestly like that whole subplot and storyline just didn't i don't know like why 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 did she kill her parents and then go next door if they were just trying to invoke a, a demon 
and they needed a sacrifice to do it. Like it would seem like her parents would be enough or her and her hobo boyfriend, they would have been enough to, to get the job done. But instead they go to the neighbor's house. I, I don't know. It just, it was a little bit too convenient, I guess, for the storyline sake. But overall, not a bad opening set of scenes. And I'm in just because Annabelle Wallace is beautiful. <laughs> All right. The news commentates on the events of the night. The two killers were part of an occult. A doctor is doing an ultrasound and tells the couple the amniotic sac is showing some strain and Mia's put on bed rest the remainder of her pregnancy. Anything beyond using the facilities would put your child at risk. The couple makes it home and she makes John lock the door. He tells her they had them scrub everything at least twice and she closes the door to the doll room. He brings a TV into their bedroom and says not to get addicted to the soap operas. She's concerned as she asks if the baby is okay. She brings up the research he talked about and he says she's the mother. She knows best. She asks him to promise her he'll save the baby if it comes down to it. He says he promises, but she's going to be fine. Around 3.40 that morning, as they sleep, the baby to- the baby toy chimes, and they hear a noise. John asks, what the hell is that? He grabs a baseball bat and explores the home. He sees that her sewing machine has randomly turned on and unplugs it. He goes to close the doll room door and notices the Annabelle doll on the floor. He sits it in the rocking chair and closes it. Next day, Mia is sewing and watching TV, and she chunks a book at the TV as it starts to break up. She hears the rocking chair rocking, and she goes to check it out. She notices the chair not moving, and she closes the door again. John asks her how her day was as he takes some groceries out. She says she hasn't had any pregnancy cravings until he takes a jar of mustard and pickles out. He says he's got a shot at a place in Pasadena, and she says she'll be fine when he goes to his conference. They see the doll leaned over on the chair, and she says she wants it gone. The woman had it in her hands. John takes the doll outside and puts it in a trash can. Detective Clarkin is here now telling them that the woman was their lost daughter. Mia asks if they were satanic, and he confirms they were interested in the occult. Clarkin tells them he'll dig a little deeper, but Mia stops him saying she'd rather not hear any more about it. John adjusts the TV and says he'll make her popcorn. He puts it on the stove burner and walks back in the room asking if the baby should have this much butter, but she's sound asleep. He turns the burner off. Next day, John is getting dressed for a big meeting. Mia is sewing and watching TV. We see the burner on the stove turn on its own, and the popcorn begin to cook. Mia is a bit too invested watching the TV and cuts her finger on the sewing needle. She walks to the bathroom to wash her cut, and she sits back down and begins to smell the popcorn as the bag catches on fire. She walks into the kitchen and panics. She cries out for help and trips over a chair. She goes to crawl away, and a force, I just wrote a force, drags her by the foot closer to the fire. Some neighbors kick the door in to help. We see John running into Mia's hospital room, and he apologizes that he wasn't there. She says, behind you, and the nurse has their baby girl in hand. He holds their child, and he says, hi, Leah. She brings up the fire and says she doesn't know what happened. It's like the house is cursed. I can't go back there. And then he says, you don't have to. All right, Brian, that's the next set of scenes I got. What do you think? So first off, right off the bat, bed rest means fucking bed rest. Like, I've been through that. This is fucking laughable what all they have Mia doing when supposedly being on bed rest. I mean... Th- well, first of all, it's the 60s. I, it's okay, the 60s. I mean, but but it's just... Come on. This irked me <laughs> if you can't tell. Like, she was walking in the house, not even being in a wheelchair, checking out scary noises, just fucking walking around. Like, that's not, that's not fucking bed rest, but okay. Anyway, 
Speaking of bed rest, I wish my hair looked as perfectly gelled as fucking John's does when he gets up from being asleep. That's all I'm saying. Um, but another great, great, great transition shot going from zooming in on Annabelle when, when he throws her in the trash to, to zooming out uh, of that coffee cup to another standout shot to me. Uh, also, that exchange where Mia says, John, the fire. And he says, shh, it's fine. You're fine. She's fine. I believe a normal wife would be like, no, motherfucker, this was your fault. Put up the goddamn popcorn you left on the stove, you jackass. I mean, maybe that just would have been my wife. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, why didn't she tell her husband about being pulled back, like, by the demon, by the way? I don't know. That bothered me, too. Like, normal people would have that conversation, I think. I mean, even if he thinks she was hallucinating or doesn't believe her, normal people would have that conversation. But, anyway... Um, I thought it was a nice touch and something I didn't even notice until my second watch was that when John gets that baby delivered to him, the nurse is the same girl from the beginning that's sitting there with the Warrens talking about the doll. I thought that was pretty cool the second time when I, when I caught it. Um, so that's it. Not as good of a set of scenes for me. The uh, quote unquote action scene in this set was the fire. And besides her being pulled back, you know, by in by the demon, which I liked the sound effect cue they used there. Like, there wasn't really a whole lot where I was like drawn into this set of scenes in any way, really. Go ahead, Mike. I will say a stronger part in this set of scenes is what you guys have already mentioned, which is the connection between John and Mia. Like it does come across better here than it does throughout some of the rest of the movie until the end, at least. And I, I mean, outside of that, until we get to when shit starts to hit the fan inside the house, I'm, I just had, it has a really hard time keeping my attention. Um, I watched this with my wife and she normally pays better attention to certain things than I do. And even she had a hard time keeping, uh, you know, be, being able to just follow this movie and because, and she loves these let down scenes because she's peeked behind the curtain, bigger scaredy cat than I am. And, and, uh, has to watch a lot of these movies through her fingers, you know, so she can barely see for because for some reason she thinks that helps. Whatever helps you cope, sweetheart. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and even she struggled. So until we get now, they do some great stuff visually here with the way they kind of make you think something's there or somebody's there. Like, I love that. I love, they're not jump scares. They're, they're almost like a better version of jump scares where I, I think, they use the, the the tension, suspense, and atmosphere, uh, and and they it's a genuinely scary you know moment in the movie. All these quote unquote jump scares. So I think they do a better job of that than they do in a lot of other you know types of these movies that I've seen. I think this movie has even better jump scares than Conjuring Three, which I think has which is a letdown because one and two had really good ones. And anyway, that's another story for another day. But. Um, I like that stuff, and I like this. You know, once you know the popcorn's on the stove, and she's doing the sewing and all that stuff, it's at least interesting. Uh, I, you know, we're getting some development in this way where we're seeing, you know, whatever's inside the house or whatever she sees inside the house is, you know, coming to get her because it grabs her, and that's a genuinely terrifying moment within the movie. Um, I ain't gonna lie, I would have set that fucking house on fire on purpose. I'm committing arson in this motherfucker. The minute something grabs me, I'm setting that bitch on fire. I don't give a fuck. We don't need no water. Let that motherfucker burn. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I had there. There, There's just, 
you know, like you mentioned at the top, Brian, there's just, it really is a roller coaster where it's like, like it, it, there's just a lot of ups and downs, man. So uh, a lot of lull and then a lot of excitement. It's, it's, it's like watching Florida state football, except this one has excitement. Oh boy. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, you know, my biggest takeaway from this set of scenes is John and Mia just aren't terribly interesting characters to me. It's nothing to do with them, I guess, but it's just the, their characters and the way they're written. It's not, not that great. Side note, I love the fact that they got taco Doritos on the table. That's great product placement there. Good job, uh, Doritos. I looked it up. Those actually debuted as a flavor in 1967. So good on the film for getting that right. That's that's nice little, nice little Easter egg there. Um, second of all, my girl's eating mustard dipped in pickles, or pickles dipped in mustard, I guess. I like her style. We'd fit in smashingly as a couple. Um <clears throat> Another thing, though, so this damn ugly-ass creepy doll, quote-unquote, set them back on rent for the next couple of months, or, you know, I know that that was a joke. He was obviously joking. But regardless, that clearly means it was an expensive doll, and he's just going to throw it away. He's going to put it in trash can here, like, you know, nothing. He's not even going to try to give it to someone or sell it. He's just going to throw it away. I'm not buying that shit. Come on. Um, Another thing on this set of scenes, so... When he turns the stove off because she falls asleep, but the popcorn's still sitting on it, and then the spirit or whatever turns the, the stove on, the popcorn didn't make a sound as it popped. That's not okay. Okay, that's that's bad. Um, you know, 33 minutes in here, we got our first real paranormal scene with her being dragged backwards as she's trying to crawl out of the burning house. I thought that was a good visual. I that's the shit that makes me uneasy when I watch paranormal activity. It's not the sounds and stuff it's the okay there's nothing there and she's being grabbed and pulled um it, it just is not a bad set of scenes it's not a great set of scenes it does a good job of progressing letting us know that shit's going downhill stuff's getting bad um i do start to care about the characters more as we go on so they're doing a, a better job of that i just wish i cared more in this set of scenes in the open that's what the opens for is to establish that baseline of us caring I don't know. It's it's not bad, and it definitely picks up. I think the next few sets of scenes, it, it gets exponentially better. All right. Pasadena, California. The couple is moving into their new apartment. Mia calls out the couples above them arguing, and John says, you both need to get outside. You've been cooped up in here too long. Mia and a neighbor, Evelyn, make eye contact as they head to church. Mia walks Leah outside the church as the baby acts fussy. Father Perez asks if it's okay to take a picture of their new baby. He says mothers are closer to God than any other living creature. He takes a picture and says he still feels the Higgins' absence. It says it must be difficult for her, but she interrupts him and walks off saying there's some things we have to take care of ourselves. Mia is unpacking her doll boxes and John brings in the last box. He goes to check on Leah and Mia finds the Annabelle doll at the bottom. He walks back in asking how it got back in there. He threw it away. He asked for it so he can throw it away again, but she says, you gave it to me as a gift. Like Father Perez said, we need to celebrate our strength. The TV goes static as Mia and Leah are taking a nap in the living room. We see the dead occult woman walking in the back room who now appears by Leah's crib. Leah begins crying and the TV comes back on. Mia grabs Leah and walks down the stairs. She asks the kids if they live here and the little boy stops his sister from talking because she's a stranger. Mia, t Mia tells her she likes her dolls. Mia says maybe one day we can all be friends. 
when he tells his sister not to tell her her name. Mia is pushing Leah in a stroller, and Evelyn walks out her bookstore asking her if she's a tenant at the complex. They introduce themselves, and Ev- Evelyn gives Mia a book. It was her daughter's favorite. She thanks her, and Evelyn says, feel free to stop by any time. Mia is back at the apartment complex, and they find a drawing on the stairs of her pushing Leah in the stroller. She finds more pictures as they walk up the stairs, and it gets more and more grim. Another picture, and it shows a garbage truck running into the stroller, killing their baby. John looks at John looks at the pictures and asks if we should talk to the parents. He jokes that drawings aren't even good, and he says it's just a kid with an overactive imagination. They talk about the move, and he says we promise to leave the fear and anxieties back there. He sits beside her, saying, Sorry, and he doesn't work late tomorrow, so they can have a nice dinner and have some adult conversation. A record plays as Mia eats alone. She turns the music off and goes to clean the plates up, but the record starts to play again. She's freaked out, and she slowly reaches for the curtains. A gust of wind knocks her to the ground, and a small child runs past her down the hall. She walks down the hall, hearing the sewing machine going off. We see the little girl in the other room. She runs towards Mia as the door closes, and she turns into the occult woman charging her, and Mia is in shock. She talks to John, describing the situation. He asks if it's a manifestation of her anxiety, and he says, I think we should talk to someone. She asks a shrink. I'm not crazy. He says, not a shrink. The couple is with Father Perez now, and he says, in a matter of months, you experience the best and the worst of times. You don't come out of something like this weaker. You come out stronger. Mia says he's right as she holds John's hand. They run into Evelyn again, and John introduces himself. Evelyn says if they ever want a tour of the neighborhood, just call. Back in the apartment, Mia hears some horns honking, and she puts Leah in her crib as we get a close-up of the doll, and the door closes on its own. All right, Brian, that's the next set of scenes I got. What do you think? Look, there's a, another great one shot here to start this out, going through Leah's room in a 360 to the living room, all around the house, no cuts. I love that shit so much. It was great. Um, it was also great to see Alfre Woodard here. I could have sworn we covered something with her before, but we went through, I went through her IMDb. Nico just went through her IMDb because I was asking the same thing just before I went. Must be mistaking. So, nerd shit it is. Star Trek First Contact, just throwing that in there for my fucking nerd streak of the week. But listen, she was great in that. Um, This movie is full of bad acting, though. And I'm not an actor. We've said that plenty of times. Acting is just not great throughout to me. But Woodard, that does not apply to, to Evelyn here. Like, she's, for me, the bright spot of the rest of this film. No hat there, as the young people don't quite say. Um... She's outstanding and my favorite character of the movie, I think. Look, friend of the show, Lynn Shea, was actually considered for the role of Evelyn before Alfre was cast. Um, both would have been great. Uh, Dustin probably would have preferred Lynn Shea, but I think Woodard did, did obviously, did very, did very good. Um, I beg your fucking pardon. Oh, hey, welcome back, man. Just, just, <laughs> how's it going, man? Um, all right, a few things about the set of scenes. When Father Perez takes a picture of Mia and Leah, he he takes the picture horizontally. But at the end of the movie, when he gives Mia the picture, it's it's been taken vertically in a portrait format. So also, crazy fun fact here, Ellen DeGeneres actually lived in the apartment used in the movie. And she recognized it and talked about it on the show while promoting the movie back in 2014. So I thought that was pretty crazy, actually. Um so I wasn't a big fan of the demon drawing pictures now. Like, you know, unless unless that carries over from like the prequel and I don't know anything about it. 
Um, I'm not a fan of the scene with the pictures here, but let me just tell you what I was a fan of. That ghost kid running at her and then turning into Annabelle Higgins. Holy shit. Like, there's another one of those scenes that kind of kept me locked in, just in case. Um, Okay, so first of all, this kid fucking sleeps all the time, by the way. Most unrealistic kid I've ever seen in a movie. I'm just going to throw that out there because that's relevant to the next set of scenes as well. Um, Again, another ho-hum kind of set of scenes for me, except for the one with the uh, Annabelle Higgins ghost transformation there. Um, That that stood out to me big time. But it was just kind of, man, okay on the rest of it. Go ahead. All right, hold on. So, again, <laughs> I really feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but, you know, nay, nay, motherfucker. But <laughs> I, I, I can't find the ability to wrap myself up in Mia and John for whatever reason. But I will say, this is where the movie, to me, at least becomes interesting because they get in a little bit of the backstory. You know, she's looking at books. You know, he's taking her seriously. He thinks, I think he, deep down, he thinks there's something more wrong with her, maybe mentally and stuff like that. And so I do, again, I like their bond, but them as characters just, and this is what I'm going to say. And again, I am not an actor, but some of these line deliveries by both, by both of these leads really leaves me like, well, if they don't care, I sure as fuck don't care. (laughs) It's like, very bland like this. That's, oh no, what's going to happen now? Like, that's how they're delivered. And I'm like, this is, I just find myself being like, ugh, yes. man, can we get to the part where somebody jumps out behind someone and 100%. scares? Like, yes. like, like, I just, I, I, I guess it's the delivery. And, you know, because again, when this, when this movie picks up, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. But I, I just, now, I love in this set of scenes, I love the way they use baby Leah to, to, be, to make this movie even more creepy. Like, one thing this movie does a good job of is being creepy. Now, that doesn't mean that I necessarily love the story, but uh, again, the way they use the sound and the way they use the baby crying and everything else, like, I just think they do a really good job with that kind of stuff. So, I, maybe that's why I like creation so much more. It's because it's just the story and you get all this other really good stuff that you have in this movie. This is probably where I should cut my notes off because I just spit all over my mic. <laughs> what the hell just happened? All right. Um, it just bugs me. I, that's gross. Now I got to clean the whole phone thing. All right. So uh, here's the thing that I noticed, and I don't know if this was a big deal to y'all or not, but so the couple upstairs when they first move into this apartment, made a lot of racket and she's like got it down to a science look and it stops or whatever but did y'all notice at the end of the movie spoiler gonna jump ahead a little bit when evelyn jumped out the window it was the top floor window what the hell am i wrong on that yeah no i because i got that same thing (laughs) down for my ending there i I pointed the same thing out i noticed it too as well okay because the whole movie and it goes this isn't the only time we hear upstairs neighbors making noises anyway so besides that, so why in the when we first get to this set of scenes, why do we see a uh, you know text on the screen showing the location of Pasadena, California, as if it's a brand new location, but they still went to the same church? Like it, it seemed like they, well, were they not in California from the beginning? Yeah, I'm, but why? I mean, the, 
I mean, the palm trees are a dead giveaway. Yeah, that, no, that's not my. That's not what I'm saying. They were obviously right. in California. So why established after they moved Pasadena, California? That that's the kind of thing you do when the story starts out in Tampa, right. and then I, we got to right. get away from here. New location, Pasadena, California. It just, they just moved around the corner. Man, you've been to the Rose Bowl. I've never been to the Rose Bowl. I've never <laughs> been to California. Um, I ain't got money like you, Mileage Mike. So. Whoa, I went to California as a football player in college. I didn't pay for that shit. Okay. Been everywhere else, though. So, <laughs> when they're in their apartment here, they're in their new apartment. And by the way, you know, I didn't know that adults were allowed to sell a house and start renting. I thought there was an age limit on that stuff. But um, that's what I thought, too. That's what I was told. Actually, I think it was Nico that told me that. A little that. inside fastball. Of course, adults can rent. Anyway, um, so when they first move into their house and they, they get to the last box and they're unpacking it, I'd be a little bit more suspicious than they were if I just threw that doll away in an outside trash can and it's in this box. Like they were way too calm about it. And she's like, oh, it's fine. We'll just put it on the shelf. Made me hate them immediately. Yeah. Immediately made me hate like, them. I don't, you know. Grind that thing up in a fucking blender. Some shit's already happened. Uh, especially to you. Mia, like you got dragged backwards by a satanic force as your house is on fire yep. when the oven turned itself on. So now this doll that your husband threw away is just showing back up. I'm, eh, I'm not okay with that. Right. It, it, it reminds me of in uh, Ass Above, Hole Below when they're down and they don't even try to get out of the tunnels. I don't think that was the name. I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't think that was the As name. Above, So Below? That yeah. wasn't it? Oh yeah, that was it. That was it. Oh. They were... Maybe they were California dreaming on such a winter's day. But like it, it was the same kind of feeling, though. Some freaky shit starts happening, and they're just way too calm about it. I hate it. Yeah, I hate that. That's not how you would react. But um, and then another thing: how much time has passed here? That is not a newborn baby. <laughs> but they're just now unpacking in this apartment, like they just moved in. But in the hospital, she said she couldn't go back to their old house. So where the hell have they been? Were they stuck in the, you know, in time limbo for, and she, the baby's aging? Is this movie uh, a prequel to the movie Old? What's happening here? <laughs> that baby aged way too fast. But, I, and then, okay, another thing. The record player starting back up would be enough for me to call the priest, especially coupled with the whispers, and the little kid, and the sewing machine, and then the hippie daughter just showing up like that. Like, all that's too, I, I get, she was freaked out then. But I wouldn't have just brushed it off and be like, oh, we'll deal with this shit if it happens again, I guess. No, I'm calling the priest right then. And then I love the, uh, so the priest's advice here that he gives her is honestly something that I've told myself. Like, this is one, that's one bit of dialogue that resonates with, with me more than the rest of the movie combined. So I really like the, the conversation we get there, the dialogue there. Um, and then, Mike, you said it, the, the redeeming factors are the best qualities of this movie has to offer. Some of the shots we get, the cinematography, the lighting, the atmosphere, and the mood that we gush over a lot on this show. But man, what a great shot of Annabelle in focus as the door shuts in the background. Like that's just a great shot. Um, the, the movie really starts ramping up here and this is a much better set of scenes than, you know, the first few that we've been given. So by this point I, I'm in and I want to see where we're going. I'm going to say from here on, it does yes. pick up yes. significantly because things are actually happening <laughs> from this next set of scenes yeah. on for sure. 
Alright, Mia takes the elevator down to put some boxes up as she hears crying in the distance. She hears a squeaking noise as we see a stroller appear and a baby crying. She approaches the stroller and sees a bloody blanket, but nothing under it when she grabs it. A black demonic hand grabs her arm, leaving the same cult symbol on her arm. She takes the elevator, but it keeps opening and closing on the same floor. The lights flash and the elevator shakes. The doors open again and she makes a run for the exit. She runs up the stairs and she trips on a step. She looks over the ledge and she sees the demonic hand. She runs again and looks down the stairs and sees the demon as it charges at her. Mia makes it inside the apartment terrified. She takes the bandage off her arm and notices the wound is gone. The detective is back and he says he was surprised she called back. She says she needed some closure. He shows her what he has on the Higgins case. Mia asks about if he looked into the occult. He says their act wasn't devotional. They were trying to conjure something up. Mia grabs the files and looks through the pictures. She asks him about the symbol on the wall. She asks to keep the picture and what, what their cult's name was. They called themselves the Disciples of the Ram. Mia's at the bookstore and Evelyn asks if she needs help. She tells Mia she's a terrible liar. Mia tells her she thinks her family is being followed by a ghost. Evelyn takes her to aisle four and says to non-believers, it all sounds crazy. Let's just say I've had my own experiences that it gives me an open mind. Evelyn tells her she doesn't think it's a ghost. They haunt certain places. She brings up the cult trying to summon something. They summon demons. They want a soul and won't stop until they get one. What do we do, Mia asks. Hopefully the answer is in one of these books. Evelyn shows Mia a picture in her locket of her daughter, Ruby, who passed away, and she was around Mia's age. She tells her of her time trying to commit suicide, but her daughter's voice said it wasn't her time. She still has a purpose in her life. Mia is pushing Leah in the stroller and drops her keys outside the apartment building. She hears her name whispered and sees the occult woman holding a baby as the stroller rolls into the street and is hit. Mia is completely shook as she holds her baby. Mia reads in her books and it says the devil preys on the weak and vulnerable as she looks at Leah sitting on the floor in front of their bookshelf. Mia asks, how do I stop it? She rubs on her baby and hears the rocking chair rocking in the baby chime. She goes into the room and the doors slam closed on their own. We see a shadow walk away from the door. Books begin to fly off the shelf, almost hitting Leah. Mia looks under the door and the Annabelle doll flies, falls right into sight. She breaks the handle off the door and runs and grabs her baby. The doll begins to stand up behind her. It levitates as Mia sees the demon again and she screams. John hears the commotion and runs upstairs. Help us, John. You gotta help us. Father Perez is at the door now and asks Mia to see the doll. Mia is visibly scared of the doll as she grabs it and puts it on the chair. Perez tells John demons can use dolls as conduits, conduits to achieve their goals. Perez says demons can't just take souls. They have to be offered. Mia asks, how do we get rid of it? He says he knows of a couple within the church who handles these cases back east. Perez offers to take the doll and keep it in a sacred place. Maybe it'll weaken the demon. Perez shakes their hands and walks out with the doll. He gets in his car and puts it in the front seat with him, but quickly changes his mind and puts it in the back seat. John tells Mia to get some sleep and offers to stay up with Mia. Mia thanks him for believing her. He says, I love you. I'll always believe you. Back to the father and the radio begins to break up. He turns to a station that says, May God have mercy on your soul. He turns the radio off and we see the doll's eyes are bloodshot. Perez grabs the doll and walks to the church. We see the Annabelle woman in the back seat. Perez turns around and sees her standing there. He goes to walk in the church but is launched off the steps onto the ground and the woman carries the doll away. And the next set of scenes are the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Disciples of the Ram, Department of Revenue, DOR. Eh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so probably the best set of scenes, in my opinion, of the movie. Um, you know, first of all, is this chick seriously just leaving her kid upstairs in the bed while she leaves the apartment and goes downstairs? Like, taking those boxes downstairs couldn't fucking wait at all. Okay. Um, now, this is a scene I was talking about earlier being directed by another director as the one and only James Wan came back to direct this scene. Uh, pretty cool, in my opinion. And and uh, one of the creepier scenes in the movie, without question. Um, shout out to Joseph Bashira, who who portrayed uh, back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that demon's name. Sorry, I know better than that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he played the demon in The Conjuring. He came back to play the demonic figure in this one. But amazing scene right there. Um, this scene with the baby carriage, straight out of Ghostbusters 2, by the way. Anybody seen that? I'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and by the way, I totally did not think she had the kid, which I was like, holy shit at first. Um, you know, and then bam, right into another good set of scenes with her getting locked in the room. Uh, now look, again, I can't act worth shit. But this should be something the director pushed more for, I think, honestly. And the, and that's that's more I, I, I think she should have had more reaction. You know, I, I think that when her kid is in danger, she should have given a little bit more there. I mean, especially in that last set of scenes uh, of the whole movie. But but she she doesn't freak out enough for me personally here and in the, and in the next set. Um, going to need some more crying, yelling, being more scared. Uh, by the way, the first time that the Annabelle doll stood up. I didn't see a demon behind it. Uh, the second time, that was holy shit nightmare fuel right there. So, <laughs> bravo on the second on my second watch. Yeah, I was watching that and I saw his little head poke out and I was like, oh shit. Um, now, why was she still standing there and not running out of the room when John burst in? You know, and we kind of saw from her his perspective. I have no idea, but a lot of her decisions, I'm not exactly sure of myself. As as you know, kind of said the whole time. Um, I mean, all of this, and they're still just putting the kid in her bed and sleeping in the same room, or not sleeping in the same room, for that matter. Not sleep, you know, they, why are they not in another fucking apartment or a house or hotel or something? I mean, my guy John is working super late all the time, so he's either having an affair or making some making some bread. I mean, get you a hotel room. This is the 70s, right? Damn, they basically let you give like a fucking flip-flop or something for collateral in a room back then. I mean, shit, just go get a, go get a fucking hotel room. Anyway, um, this whole scene with Father Perez, this whole thing, uh, like from the camera angle as he walked outside to the car ride, everything seemed like out of a Chucky movie to me. I mean, like I kept waiting for her to stand up in the back seat and hear Brad Dorf say something. Um, but anyway, best set of the scenes for me in the movie from top to bottom. This is definitely my favorite set of scenes. It stays pretty tense almost the entire time. I love this scene in the elevator. Uh, again, this is probably the best acting we get uh, right here as far as you know, uh, uh, Mia's character where she's kind of frantic in that elevator. Like, I think it's really good. Um, I-, I said the same thing. Oh, tell me you're going to leave. You, you, you're worried about this kid this whole time. You're just going to leave her up there? Okay, man, whatever you say. But I, this probably has my favorite, I don't know, I won't call it a jump scare because I – I, I hate to label everything with that. That's like scary. But this, you know, this scene with the damn uh, baby carriage is fantastic. And like you said, Brian, it is straight out of Ghostbusters. And it's not the only movie I've seen it in because there's been a lot of homages. But this is the one that's played the most serious. Uh, normally, you know, it's kind of played for laughs here and there. 
this was done really, really well. And I, oh, I'm, man, I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna kill off this baby. <laughs> like, like again, I know I've said in some previous episodes that I'm all for man fuck them kids. Sometimes you got to kill these kids and make a statement if you're a slasher movie. But in this case, it's like, no, nah, man, we don't have to kill the kid. But she had it, and I think that acting was a little bit up from what we've seen so far. Um, the movie, you know, I like everything with this priest. Uh, you know, he kind of gets taken over here. That I, I just think, you know, his acting, thank God. Thank God. There's someone that puts her all into this role. Because once, you know, he starts kind of screaming a little bit, you're like, oh, okay. Shit's getting wild up or riled up. I don't know why I said wild up, but okay. Uh, I'll let that be the le- lack of sleep talking. But uh, I really do like the set of scenes. It comes across as we know <laughs> we've got to pick this up. So, I mean, at least that's the way I took it, where it's kind of like we lulled you in, and now we kind of have to turn the volume up. And, you know, the first two Conjuring movies tend to do that as well. I don't know if I just like that story better, but, like, this is almost a beat-for-beat beat Conjuring movie. Like, the more I go back over it. You know, there's some scares here and there in the beginning, but most of it's just kind of, you know, plot-driven or character-driven until we get to the actual, you know, good stuff here at the end. So, I think this is a good set of, uh, good set of scenes. I don't really have anything negative to say about it. Yeah, so this set of scenes, so when she's go, she goes down the stairs or down the elevator or whatever, and she's down there in that storage area, you're telling me she couldn't tell that that crying was coming from behind her when she was in the cage? Like, she's in the cage, and she, she you hear all the noises, then the baby crying, and she steps out of the cage looking forward when the sounds clearly come from behind her. Ah, that's just a, a huge nitpick because that's not that's not believable. Uh, and then the predictable jump scare was still effective, though. That was some creepy shit. So, well done there. Man, my girl is clumsy, too. Like, she just, she was tripping over everything and falling down all and getting hurt, injury prone. She needs me to protect her. She needs to come be in my life. But she was always falling down in this movie. Um, we get an effective use of the darkness. The the lighting and was just perfect here to for it to be dark, but you still see the demon. You still see that outline and the silhouette and the face like that was brilliantly done there. Great shot. Um, so we talked about Evelyn. Now, I want to preface this by saying, yes, I do love Alfre Woodard. Great, great actress. But her character really irks me, particularly in this set of scenes, because she seems so like ominous and kind of creepy. And I don't know. It's just the way that she's approaching Mia just it seemed like there was something suspicious about her and the way she she didn't talk like there was uh, or she didn't act and behave like there was genuine concern or desire for connection it, it just it I don't know I can't I can't really explain it it seemed a little tense and awkward um we get some creepy atmosphere as she's locked in Leah's room I thought that was really well done uh and first of all all right so she's locked in the room and some shit's going bad and everything. You see the shadow go along the bottom of the door there. Fantastic stuff. But then the devil has some terrible aim. That baby wasn't moving. And you couldn't hit her with a damn book? What are you... Come on, devil. What, what the hell are you doing here? Throw, throw the books like you mean it. That that irritated me. But, um... And then, you know, this said at this point, I really think that I would just move into the church. 
I got it irked me in the last set of scenes how nonchalant they were and just oh this is unfortunate but they weren't really scared acting at this point fuck that man i'm setting up a cot i'm gonna take my blanket and my pillow and i'm gonna camp on the front pew of the church until they ask me to leave and uh you know the demon holding up the doll right there in the window would have done it that would have been the selling point there's no convincing me you know you already told john i can't go back to that house not with her at this point, I'm realizing, okay, it doesn't matter where we go. I'm going to go. I'm going to just take my chances. I'm going to sleep in the church. But this is a great set of scenes. This is the best. I think it's unanimous. This is the best set of scenes in the movie. And I like the ending for the most part. So it's not uh, it's not an indictment on that. It's just this set. Of, this group of scenes is very well done. The only thing I'll say is I don't, I don't really care for the stroller thing. It just kind of got a little monotonous to me at that point with the Leah or Mia getting scared by the demon. I was like, eh, it couldn't, I don't know. It just, oh, we got to move yeah. on from that. But there's the, here's the ending, guys. We're at the hospital and John sees nuns in the hallway and checks on them. Evelyn and Mia walk in the house and Evelyn has spoiled Leah with new clothes. Perez is in the hospital, badly injured as John sits beside him. Mia calls Evelyn a lifesaver after getting Leah to sleep. Mia asks how her daughter passed. She says a car accident driving home from her parents' home. They were tired, and she shouldn't have been behind the wheel. The last thing she remembers was looking at her daughter asleep in the passenger seat. I woke up three weeks later, and Ruby never did. I begged God to take me first. Mia holds her hand with tears in both their eyes. Perez wakes up and asks, where is it? He tells John the evil, its presence, I saw it. John, I felt it. I felt how much it wants to take her soul. A baby can't offer its soul. John realizes it wants Mia's soul and takes off running. He calls home, but the call is all static. He says to get out the house, and he's leaving now. Knock at the door, and Mia thinks it's Father Perez as she looks through the peephole. She opens the door, but he yells out, May God have mercy on your soul. She slams the door shut as the record begins to play, and Evelyn says, We need to leave. Mia hears Leah crying, but she doesn't see Leah in her crib. She sees all her dolls mangled. They hear loud noises above them as a demon knocks Evelyn out the front door. Mia is overwhelmed by the baby crying and demons screaming. Mia finds a doll sitting in the chair, and she screams, What do you want from me? A crayon rolls out of room, and Mia goes into the room, and she sees her soul written all over the ceiling. Mia grabs the Annabelle doll in the crib and says, Give her back to me, and slams the doll into the crib over and over and tosses it. She hears crying and thinks it's Leah. She runs to the baby and holds her, but she realizes it was just another doll as it laughs at her. Mia sees your soul written on a window as it opens. She hears your soul whispered over and over. John makes it home as Evelyn gets up from her attack. Mommy's coming to save you, Leah. Mommy's coming as she approaches the window with the doll sitting right in front of the ledge. John gets the door open and he and Evelyn go inside. John sees Mia by the window with the doll. John says, stop. Don't do this. I need you here. Leah needs you here. John snatches her off the ledge and Evelyn says a daughter needs her mother. John tries to console Mia as we see Evelyn on the window's ledge who falls backwards out the window with a doll. The two try and stop her, but it's too late. We see Evelyn on the sidewalk with the doll beside her. Mia grabs Leah and holds her tight. We hear a sermon preached in the background from Father Perez. Six months later, John tells him wonderful sermon, as Perez tells them that evil is constant. You cannot destroy what was never created. I just pray that whoever encounters the doll next gets the help they need. They go to leave, and Father Perez gives them the picture of Mia and Leah, the loveliest masterpiece of the heart of God, is the love of a mother. The two walk away from the church. 
We now see the doll in a shop, and a woman is looking for a gift for her daughter. She's a nurse who loves to help people. She grabs a doll to buy. The baby chimes start, and text on screen says, Annabelle now sits in a glass case inside the artifact room of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It is blessed by a priest twice a month. We now see the doll sitting in the case. The threat of evil is ever-present. We can contain it as long as we stay vigilant, but it can never truly be destroyed. Lorraine Warren. And the film ends. What do you think, Brian? Uh, the ending wasn't bad. wasn't bad at all. Um, first off, I mean, holy shit. Like, that scene with the demon jumping from the ceiling, like, onto Evelyn. Oh, shit. That was a great fucking scene. Um, you know, this was around the time I started saying, like, come the fuck on, though, to Mia and her not freaking out enough for me, like, over the kid. I mean, look, the scene where she bangs Annabelle up against the crib and then it shows Lee on the ground... I almost threw the fuck up like right there. I thought, Oh my God, like that literally almost made me puke. Um, I thought no fucking way. So I'm glad that was an illusion, but she didn't even freak out enough for me even there. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's acting. It's an acting thing, I think. Um, and the director not getting enough out of it. That's just, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but you can still come on the show if you guys want to. Uh, I also don't like the fact that the demon writes on the ceiling in English. Like, I'm going to need to see some Latin or something there. Like, I don't know. It just, it felt weird to me. Like, I'm not saying that the demon couldn't take a crayon and write on the ceiling if he wanted to. And it just didn't feel demonic to me. I don't know. A few questions I had, though. So, Evelyn sacrificed her soul in Mia's place, right? So does that mean that she's in hell now forever? Like, is that just, is that the way that kind of plays out to you guys too? <clears throat> or is it a sacrifice thing? I don't know. I don't make those decisions. The good Lord does. Amen. <laughs> hey, there you go. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, Dustin, I, this is where I had written down about the apartment and, and being on the top floor and not, and I actually noticed that the first time. And then the second watch, I thought, you know what? Maybe... Maybe I saw that wrong. Maybe they're in Evelyn's apartment because, you know, Evelyn and Mia walk in at the same time. But I just I don't think that's right either. I just think somebody fucked up like and because it's pretty clearly showing that's a top floor apartment whenever it's showing her on the ground and and showing the building and the windows that are open. Right. And then when you when you watch throughout the movie, every time they get on the uh, elevator, they'll hit six and there's clearly a seven button when they're walking on the stairway and outside their apartment, there's clearly steps that go up another floor. But I think, yeah, it was absolutely a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. But right. anyway, not a bad ending overall. Definitely one of the stronger parts of the movie for sure for me. Yeah, I think the ending is fine. Um, it, it, it just... So, to me, it's more of the same. Where I get a... Now, there, there, there's a little bit of a lull here, but then you get the the the, the ending scene with you know Perez and, and everything else. I just I don't know. I at this point I have been ready for this movie to be done. Now I did like the last set of scenes significantly more, but at this point I'm kind of ready for the movie to be done. And they've made so many made so many mistakes with this doll, <laughs> and so. I still think the doll is the creepiest part, especially here at the end. And one thing I will say is I love, I love the shot of the doll as at the very end, as, as the, you know, uh, nurse walks up to it. I think that's 
you know, again, the shots they get of Annabelle, the doll itself, super creepy. Um, and I like that it leads kind of back to the beginning of the story anyway that we get, but I just, I, I just couldn't find anything here to really sink my teeth into. And like you said, there's mistakes with all those steps and everything. And so I just, I wasn't a huge fan of the ending, but I didn't hate it. But to me, I think if they would have ended it, you could have shortened this down a little bit. Cause like Nico said in the last set of scenes, it's starting to get a little monotonous here. Um, I think if you could have found a way to shorten that and just kind of come off the last set of scenes, shaved about 10 minutes off, I would have been a bigger fan. All right. So this set of scenes does make me feel a lot better about Evelyn. She does a great job of, I don't know what it is, but there's a, there's a distinct difference. I do, I do like her character a lot. I I think she adds something to it. Yeah, that for thing. sure. I and mean, this set of scenes, like she's more relatable. She's acting like she wants to be a part of their life. She genuinely wants to help. And she's, uh, you know, she didn't have grandkids of her own, so she's spoiling the baby. Like she seemed like a real person here. She didn't in the in the previous scene. So I like that. Um, this does make me wonder, though, when she's giving her the clothes. Oh, Leah told me she wanted this too, blah, blah, blah. Where the hell are Leah's actual grandparents? We don't get mention of Mia or John's parents at all. And I can tell you for a fact that if some freaky shit like this was going down in my life and I was being traumatized by a demon, my mama would be right by my side. She'd be calling me. She she would be there. People would know that she's in my life, but we don't hear wind of their parents at all. So I, that's kind of weird, I guess. They didn't seem to have any family or friends at all. Um, we get great dialogue here with Mia and Evelyn, uh, to plant the seed that Mia may offer her soul. Like when she's telling her soul has to be offered all that stuff. Like that's, that's a great job of planting those seeds in the viewer's mind. Um, Evelyn trying to get Mia to leave Leah was confusing though. Unrealistic. Like shit's going down and she's like, Oh, baby's gone. And Evelyn's just like, Oh, we got to go. We'll get her back. We got to go. We got to get out. Come on, man. That, that's her baby's missing inside the apartment. Like, you, you can't be real. She's not going to leave. Um, the demon attacking her right here was intense. Like, oh, that was one of those holy shit moments. So, great job there. Uh, we get a very intense scene with her beating the doll in the crib and thinking it was Leah. Like you said, Brian, that was holy shit. That's 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 traumatizing stuff right there. Especially when she's slamming it in and you see the the rail on the crib's bending and oh yeah then she throws the baby and it looks like like that's some crazy shit that um, fucked me up yeah for sure and here's the thing evelyn sacrificing herself like that was noble as could be beautiful all i'm saying though this movie took place in the 60s if a black lady is laying on the sidewalk and it appears that she went out the window of a white couple's apartment. That that looks on the surface like a hate crime. How are you gonna? You know, I don't know, man. That's that's some crazy shit right there. I don't know. That just that stuck with me because the cops aren't gonna believe demon possession. They never do in any movie that you've ever seen. When are the cops like, "Yep, you're right. This is demons." So the cops show up, and it's the '60s, and this is a black lady that was just expelled through this window to her death. <sighs> That's some tricky shit. 
But overall, I mean, this is it's a good way to tie a knot on this movie or tie a bow on this movie, I guess. Um, I I enjoyed it, man. The last half of the movie really picked it up compared to how slow and sluggish the uh, the first half was. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? We just jump into our social media comments and questions. No. All right. Let's do Twitter first. Uh, new teammate Kevin Scanlon. He tweeted us saying, I remember liking this movie the first time I saw it, but not so much the second time. Going to have to give it another watch and see where I stand on it now. And just letting all of the audience know, well, in America, it's available on HBO Max. So if you have that, all three of the Annabelle movies. You need are to watch there. the Rocky uh, franchise, Kevin. That's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and a good friend of the show, Lamar Lovelace, uh, he commented, that doll is freaky. And yes, it is, honestly. I, I think that doll is pretty damn creepy. Uh, let's jump over to Instagram. We don't have anything for Facebook tonight. Missy Hutchinson Wall, legendary blood donor. Big shout out to her. She's commented, I love the Annabelle movies, but wish the doll looked more normal. Think it would have been scarier. Uh, I'm going to say no, honestly, for me personally, just because, I don't know. I guess it works for some people, but like when I was a kid, I was scared of Chucky because I thought Chucky looked scary. And I just think the Annabelle doll is yeah, creepy. I, 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 want, I want to get one for my house, but. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle Billy and Annabelle staring at me while I sleep. Yeah, don't do it until don't do it until after uh, August twenty seventh because I'm gonna stay with you for the FSU Duquesne game and I don't want to be in the house with that thing. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> All right, and the last comment is a good. This is a good question. His name is uh, from God Family Texas. He commented, "Do y'all think they should have just kept the history of Annabelle a mystery?" Uh. No, I, I I like the story honestly. I was gonna I was I gonna mean, say I, I just watched the prequel and I think it added more to it for me personally. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I was gonna say Brian with the uh, not to just try and well actually, but I was just gonna say you know with the whole writing her soul on the ceiling. I think the only thing that really justified it was in creation. You know how the little they were leaving the notes around and it said, you know, I, whatever the notes said around the house, like it just creation kind of made that better. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Does that yeah. make sense at all? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's jump over to fun facts. Uh, I've only got a couple of them. I'll knock them out real quick. Uh, you know, you see Annabelle the doll, you obviously think of Chucky. The director of this film is also the cinematographer for Child's Play 3 from 1991, a film about a killer doll named Chucky. Fun fact, and if nobody knew that. And just to follow up with that, in one scene in the movie, a building shows a large logo with the name Barclay. Barclay is the last name of the main character, Andy Barclay, in the popular Chucky horror movie series, in which the plot also revolves around a possessed doll, in case no horror fan knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just one I thought was funny, honestly. Uh, highest grossing horror film in the Philippines, surpassing Insidious Chapter 2. Uh, so I, but that's all I only have two... The characters' names, Mia and John, refer to the lead actors in Rosemary's Baby from 1968, Mia Farrow and John Kestevitz. And, okay, so this one's kind of a... I found this fun fact, but I didn't... I watched the movie twice and couldn't find out where they were in it, but Morgana Bridgers and Zach Pappas supposedly reprised the roles of Debbie and Rick from the original Conjuring. Where were they in this movie? Uh... Because I, I watched it twice, and I didn't see them. So I kind of think that's... I'm calling bullshit on that one. 
<laughs> I That's all remember. I have. Okay. Uh, I just got one. We we knocked out the rest of them throughout the show tonight that I had. So um, it's, mine's not really a fun fact. It's kind of a mistake. So when the record's playing backwards and you hear the voice, the record is spinning in normal rotation. So that's just a little little goof. That's just Satan. Is it my go? Sorry, I was. uh, Chicago records backwards. Uh, It plays. It's Satan speaking. Uh, Little Nikki taught me that. (laughs) Little Nikki, (laughs) love that movie. All right. So this movie had a six point five million dollar budget, and it grossed. Holy shit. $257 $257 million against a $6.5 million budget. That is the reason these movies keep getting made. There you go. That's true. Absolutely. Horror is the best at taking a small budget and making big money off of it. Blumhouse uh, has like perfected that shit. Like here's, here's $4 million. Go make me $180 million. <laughs> now you love to see it. Uh, all right, let's jump into our, I don't know if we're picking favorite kills and least favorite kills, but uh, we'll jump into the rating as well. I don't really have one. I mean, I'm not going to pick. Yeah, I didn't either. The homie Evelyn killing herself. That one was oh, sad. Oh, shit. But, shit, you brother, know, it was I also heroic. I'm ready. I was going to say, I don't, have, I, I don't have any. I'll say my favorite kill. I'll go first tonight, guys. I'll let y'all uh, go now. My favorite kill. Uh, shoot, I don't even know. I'll go with... Uh, Annabelle killing herself. It was a good visual, at least. And my least favorite kill is Evelyn. Uh, I didn't write anything tonight. I'm just going to go off the dome tonight with my rating. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I like this movie more than most. I just enjoy it. I like John and Mia. Uh, I think the Annabelle doll is creepy. Uh, like I've mentioned throughout the review, that the, it does get a little monotonous with the doll messing with Mia. But I do enjoy the movie a lot. I think I think Annabelle Walsh is a pretty good actress for uh, i think she's a really good horror actress i liked her in malignant as well but uh this movie is nothing you know it's too special uh kind of run-of-the-mill horror movie but i like it for what it is i give it a seven and a half okay i'll go ahead and go um my favorite kill i i guess was the uh, father perez um you know there was I, I mean the blood splatter looked cool and i guess evelyn will be my least favorite kill um, cause the blood spatter didn't look as cool. I don't know. We didn't see either one of them. Um, anyway, uh, the cinematography I thought again was great. The atmosphere and a lot of scenes I thought was very strong. Um, there were some good scares, some tense moments for sure. Um, it got, it elicited a lot of, a lot of emotion and reaction for me in some parts. Uh, but for the majority of the movie, the acting, the dialogue just kind of really brought me out of it. Um, I'm going to give it a 5.5 because to me, those strong points are really strong. Yeah. I didn't have any favorite kills or anything just because outside of, you know, Evelyn and all that, like I, I just didn't see the point, but um, yeah, I like this movie. I feel like I kind of poo pooed it during our review. It's not that I don't like it. I, I just think it drags in a lot of places. And this movie to me just needs a little bit more of the, of the uh, more tense filled scenes and less of, you know, some of the dialogue look, and I love a slow burn as much as anybody. I mean, I really do. That's why I love the shining so much, but this movie is not the shining. That's for sure. But um, it's better. This movie does. No, <laughs> no. Well, let's go look at your ratings, pal. Anyway, uh, this, so, but this movie does have great camera work and has great sound. 
Um, I love the way it's shot. I think it uses shadow really well. I think it uses light and darkness really well. There's a lot of really good movie-making things going on here. And the good stuff is really good and really interesting and really intense, which is why I think they nail it the second time around. But in this one, I just think it, it becomes a little boring to me, which is unfortunate. And I don't know if it's the acting or the script or whatever, but I just couldn't find myself connecting with the characters on screen. And to me, that's, like I've said a million times, the ultimate sin for a movie. So all that being said, Brian, I also gave this a 5.5. All right, so for my kills... Um... Mike, I, I dipped out, so I didn't hear yours, but I'm assuming that you agreed with them. I'm going to be an asshole, I guess, because my favorite kill was Evelyn, but not because I didn't want her to die. And but it's just it was so it was such a selfless and beautiful act. You know, like she got the uh, she got the redemption that she was seeking for herself. Like she felt guilty about her daughter's death, and she wanted to make right. And so it, it was just it was a beautiful moment. So I can appreciate that. Um, my least favorite death was the, uh, the hippies parents because they slaughtered them up real good, but we didn't get to see that shit. And there was clearly blood everywhere. Cause John came right out of the house all bloody, but it's kind of disappointing. We didn't get to see it. Um, as far as the movie though, like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's, it doesn't feel like you don't feel the runtime to me. It's only an hour and a half. So that's good. Um, the first, few scenes do drag a little bit but it's not dragging in a bad way it's just kind of slow moving and and i wish they did a better job of establishing these characters and making us care about them as much as we eventually do i don't necessarily like john and and uh, mia mostly just john maybe i'm a hate man maybe i'm a hater maybe i'm just jealous because she is beautiful but i do like the fact that like i said earlier I love the fact that he believes his wife and he stands with her. And you know what, baby, you're obsessed. And damn it, we're possessed. We're going to beat this demon together. As far as the movie, though, I, I would watch it again for sure. It's it's one of those pretty easy movies to, to watch to me. There's it's 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 a demon movie that I can handle. It's not it doesn't make me too uncomfortable and too uneasy. So it gets points for me in that book. I went with a six point two five. So higher than Mike and Brian, not quite as high as Nico. I think I expected that going in. For our composite, that gives us a 6.1875. IMDb has it as a 5.4, proving that we're the superior voices for how to view your movies. Absolutely. I don't know, man. They were pretty in lock with me and Brian. Sounds like uh, there's some smart people on this show. Anyway. Yeah, me yeah, and I mean, IMDb agree with Brian, uh, too, with Cloverfield, brother Yeah, Mike. they were oh, wrong yeah. that time. Hey, you know, Brian uh, Blind Squirrel finds his nuts sometimes. I want to give a big shout out to James Wan. The elevators, I didn't know that he directed the elevator scene, honestly, but that's always been my favorite scene. So, Well, it's a great, it's probably the best scene. <laughs> I mean, just the best thing you've ever seen. The, the elevator scene and the scene where Mia is bashing the doll against the crib just always affected me the most. And a uh, big shout out to my favorite director, James Wan. Um, any more final thoughts where you shout out our blood donors and Dustin will announce his pick for 31 month. All right. Uh, Big shout out to all of our blood donors again. Just want to say thank you so much. Um, y'all are awesome. Uh, it means the world to us that you make financial contributions in these tough times. Our camper level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, and Adrian Aiello. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, 
Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home podcast, Heather Smith, and Kylie Denise, all the way from Australia. I, I say that every time, just because I think that's so cool. We got someone who supports us all the way from Australia. Uh, our legendary blood donors with film reviews are Michael Azelson, big shout out to him, big fan of the show, and final guide donors, Christian Cunningham and Matt Sears. Uh, big shout out to y'all. We really appreciate y'all so much. Uh, br- Brother Dustin, go ahead and announce your pick as we close out 31 month. Oh, boy. All right, so I had a couple options here. I really wanted to pick, um, and I still want to pick it eventually, Paranormal Activity 3, because I think it's a it's a very good movie, uh, especially com- compared, well, comparatively speaking, because that's one of those demon movies that does fuck with me, but I didn't do it. I decided to uh, return to my Rob Zombie niche and um, make Nico suffer. So as much as I said earlier that we're going, we've been agreeing a lot lately. Next week is when the wheels fall off, and uh, Nico hurts my feelings because I picked House we're of a Thousand all, Corpses. We're all gonna hurt your feelings. House of a Thousand <laughs> Corpses. It's streaming on HBO Max. Everyone go watch it. Um, just an absolute beautiful, masterful movie. Oh, masterful. And uh, you know the best dialogue best you'll ever see. Dialogue. Um, just all you could ask for in a movie. I just want to say, I really like Devil's Rejects. See you next week. Dustin, (laughs) I'm not even even joking whenever I say this, but I honestly wanted to do 31 months just so we could review House of a Thousand Corpses. I wanted to finish that trio off. You just wanted to give me a middle finger, huh? No, I felt like I'm watching this movie. I know this movie and this trilogy has a big cult following. I mean, no matter, I mean, even if us three aren't, or us four aren't the biggest fans, well, I'll say three of us. I know Dustin, you're a fan of it. But the Firefly trilogy has a big cult following, uh, so I'm excited to finish the trio. And I'm looking forward to reviewing it next week. And I'm not looking forward to watching it, but I'm looking forward to reviewing it. Well, it's just, I, I texted you guys this, man. Uh, the the first movie is so different stylistically than the second different. and third. Yes. And honestly, I wish that, the st- storyline wise, I wish that the first one was shot like Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell. Um, stylistically, I, it would I think that Nico, you would have liked it a lot more. But it's just so damn over the top. It feels like you're watching a Rob Zombie music video while tripping acid. And God, you cannot replace that feeling, brothers. Let's do it. I'll be honest, and I, I'm gonna end the show on this. I honestly was kind of invested in the movie with. The stuff with Captain Spaulding. It's once they got in the house, I just I, I'm over this already. Yeah, once you get in the house, it's <laughs> it's a little tough watch, man. But tough I'll just watch. say thank you to all the fans for listening. Really appreciate it. I'm glad we finally knocked out an Annabelle movie. Uh, looking forward to the next review. And heck, we got a lot of cool stuff coming. So definitely keep in touch with us. Y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. Don't go out there.